Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. This is the Reverend Michael Lowry. I'm pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. In times when you and I tend to, shall we say, lose heart with the things of life, Jesus is there. He's there to teach us that the better gift, the greater answer, and the fuller purpose awaits those who pray continually and who keep the faith. That's the subject of today's message, which is entitled The Persistent Christian and is based on the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. It was in a classic 1960s-era Peanuts comic strip in which Charlie Brown's little sister Sally is standing on a hillside at the twilight of a closing day, scanning the skies for the evening's first star. And upon finding it, she closes her eyes and And with a big smile that bespeaks great reverence, Sally recites her that time-honored little rhyme to which all children have turned to at one time or another. Starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight. I wish I may, I wish I might have the wish I wish tonight. And then after a proper reverent pause, Sally breathes deeply and says aloud, I wish I had a pony. (laughs) Now the proper ritual having been observed and the wish pronounced, Sally then opens her eyes slowly at first, hopefully, and with great anticipation. She looks to the left, she looks to the right, but alas, no pony. No pony at all to be found, and to this Sally immediately turns her gaze heavenward, shakes her fist in the air, and now, in a complete reversal of faith and with a look of utter disgust on her face, she simply shouts, You stupid star! (laughs) Now, I gotta tell you, that particular strip has always managed to make me laugh. It was actually in a dog-eared Peanuts paperback I had as a kid. These days, as an adult, I think back on that strip, and I gotta say, I kinda get it. After all, would you not agree that wishing on a star ain't what it used to be? (laughs) And I suspect that most of us know something about what it is to have our wishes go unfulfilled. You know, the job you've been counting on getting doesn't come through. The long-awaited opportunity just never seems to happen. That set of unwanted circumstances in your life that just doesn't go away. The relationship you have with a family member or a significant other that you wish with all your heart could be different but, but isn't. Truly. I have to think that that maybe one of the hardest of the hard knocks of life is the realization that wishes don't always come true, do they? And quite honestly, shouting at the stars, (laughs) sometimes, at least to me, seems like a suitable response 
What's harder, though, is to discover that even our faith, even our prayer, doesn't leave us immune to this kind of disappointment. So many of us here do know of times when we have prayed hard and well for something that simply didn't come to pass as we had hoped. We prayed for the healing of a disease and still sickness took its toll. All too often, despite our best and most sincere intercessions, natural, uh, natural disasters still wreak havoc. Freak accidents still occur and bad things continue to happen to good people. And we are just left there to wonder why. Fact is, in the face of unfulfilled wishes and seemingly unanswered prayer, it actually becomes rather easy to become discouraged with it all and to lose heart. And that, friends, is what our gospel text for this morning, what Kay just read to us, Jesus' parable about a rather unscrupulous judge and a very persistent widow is all about. Now, what's interesting here is that while most of Jesus' parables have to do with the nature of the kingdom of God and about being watchful and preparing for its coming, this one was actually about those who were waiting for it, who were doing the waiting and watching for the kingdom. Not unlike, as you'll recall from what we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks, the ancestors of these people of Jesus' time who were waiting for God's plan to unfold while they were in exile in Babylon. Now understand that for the people of Jesus' time, and we are talking some 600 years later, mind you, from that Babylonian exile, the coming kingdom that the people were waiting for not only represented a spiritual awakening, but it was also hearkening a real and concrete change to the world around them. They were awaiting a Messiah. And the coming of the Messiah for them meant that justice, justice at long last was going to be done. There was going to be a release from oppression. There was going to be end to all the suffering that their people had known for generations. For them, you see, the promise of the kingdom of God was that of vindication, an advent of, of true prosperity and peace. However, though, once again, not like that of their ancestors, the reality of their situation was that this kingdom this kingdom of God was slow in coming. And even as Jesus was there proclaiming its imminent arrival, the people had become impatient. They were discouraged. They were wondering if this kingdom of which Jesus was speaking was ever really going to come. And worse, if ultimately all of their prayers they had been praying were for naught. And so... So they wouldn't lose heart. Jesus tells them a story. He shares with them a parable. A parable about a judge who, though he was as dishonest as they come and neither feared God nor had respect for people, finally, 
finally gives in to the pleadings of a widow and dispenses a measure of justice on her behalf. It's a great story, and it's got a little bit of a comic twist to it. And here it is. As Jesus tells the story, the judge quite literally does so. He offers up this justice. He responds so only to get this widow off his back. True. It's an interesting translation, actually. Most English versions of the Bible, when, they, when they're translating this particular story, they speak of the judge giving in because the woman would most certainly exhaust him or wear him out with her persistence. <laughs> but if you look at the original Greek, friends, you're going to find that what the judge was really afraid of, this is the Greek, friends, was getting slapped across the face by this widow. I actually love how the message translates this. There, the judge says, I'd better do something and see she gets justice. Otherwise, I'm going to end up beaten black and blue by her pounding. I did not write this. Mark did. Actually, Luke did, excuse me. Suffice to say that the judge does give in to the persistent cries of the widow, but most decidedly not for good and noble reasons. And to this, Jesus simply says, now, if that judge, as unjust as he was, finally acted justly on the widow's behalf, won't God, won't God, who loves you with a love so extravagant that it can barely be measured, won't God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? I assure you, he will, Jesus said. He will not drag his feet. But, and here's the tricky part, how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on the earth when he returns? As you can tell, it's a loaded question. Because Jesus knew all too well that our hu usual human response is to be far too quick to lose heart. After all, we're the people who wish upon a star. We're Jiminy Cricket. We wish on stars. And like Sally, however, we're quick to curse the star when wishes don't immediately come true. But Jesus knew. Jesus knows that the better gift, the greater answer, the fuller purpose awaits those who pray continually and who keep the faith. <clears throat> you see, friends, what's so often hard for us to grasp, you and me, is that when we pray, sometimes God says no. Sometimes God answers that prayer, but not in a way that we want or expect. Sometimes God just says, not yet. And oftentimes, God responds simply by letting us know that we should just wait for it. Wait and see. You and I, and we're too busy trying to look at the whole thing logically, we seek to try to find some theological rationale for what has or hasn't happened. Or else we are too busy 
blaming ourselves, others, or God for things not working out how we want, that we fail to hear what God has been saying to us all along. Now, in our other text for this morning, from the Old Testament book of the prophet Habakkuk, that's how it's supposed to be said. Habakkuk. Hard K at the end. And I have two years of Hebrew classes that told me that was true. It comes from the book of Habakkuk. And there's this wonderful word that in fact comes in response to the prophet's own complaint that God doesn't seem to be listening. That nothing is happening as it ought to be. And so why should they even bother? This makes, what makes this particularly interesting, at least to me, is the fact that unlike the other books of the prophets found in Scripture, Habakkuk's words were not addressed to the people of Israel, but they're really addressed personally to God. It is a dialogue between the prophet and God, and it speaks to Habakkuk's own tr struggle to believe, to believe that God is good when there's so much evil, so much tragedy, so much wrong in this world which makes it all the more powerful in these few verses we read today, that when Habakkuk makes his complaint, fairly well challenging God to respond, mind you. This is not just some minor theological quibble we're talking about here. He challenges God to respond to his word. And God does respond. God says, write the vision. Make it plain. Write it out in big block letters so it can be read on the run. That's how the message translates it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and it does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. The righteous live by their faith. In other words, friends, you got to trust. You got to trust in God. You got to wait. You got to watch. You got to live as though. For God's love is as sure as God's promises, and there is never any need at all, ever, for us to lose heart. Or, if you prefer a New Testament reference for that, consider the piece of the prayer we say just about every time we gather as God's faithful people. Words that have been aptly called the most perfect prayer of all. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Trust. Hundreds of years ago, there was a stone wall built across the width of England that was known as the Roman Wall, or Hadrian's Wall. And it was built by the Romans in the second century to keep the Scots and the Irish out of England. And it worked, too. For hundreds of years, it worked. Until finally, the Roman army left, and there was no one left to defend the wall. So eventually the wall was dismantled. 
But in one village along the wall, it was decided that they would build a church and they would use rocks that were used for the wall itself. Now, the story goes, I love this story. The story goes that the parish leaders of this church went out and hired a famous architect who had designed some of the great cathedrals of Europe. And they asked him to come up with a plan for this new church that they wanted to build. But when the design was completed, when the design was presented to the leadership, it was discovered that the design called for a ceiling that was not supported by any kind of column at all. Well, parish leaders looked at the design and they said, no, 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 that could not possibly work. That the ceiling would most certainly collapse. Such a design was foolhardy at best, catastrophic, in fact. But the architect replied, look at all I have designed. I know what I'm doing, and I am telling you right here and now, I know this will work. But despite all the architect's pleadings, the church leadership said that that doesn't matter. It's not going to work. We want columns. It's our money. And, well, the church was built with columns. Except 800 years later, an archaeological team came to what is still known as the Roman Wall Church. And interested in lifting up some of the flagstones to see what kind of artifacts they might find under the floor of that old cathedral, they discovered to their amazement that not a single column in that church was actually attached to the floor. Nor, nor connected in any way to the church's foundation. In fact, every column in that cathedral was actually suspended from the church's ceiling, hanging freely several inches above the floor. They did a little cosmetic work to kind of cover it up, but basically they were just hanging there. For 800 years, friends, everyone in that place believed that these columns were the strength of the roof. But the truth of it was... It was all just an illusion created by a stubborn architect to prove to those short-sighted church people that he'd been right all along. Church politics, you gotta love it. And so often, friends, what we come to expect about the limits of what God can do in and through our lives, it all turns out to be an illusion. Perhaps not enough time has passed for all to be fulfilled. Maybe it is that we haven't done our part for things to unfold as they should or they're supposed to. Or maybe it's simply not for us to know right now what's going on or what's going to happen or how or when or why. But here's the good news. Because God is involved, we can be assured that there will come a moment of awareness in the midst of our struggle when we'll recognize that even in the moment when we assume God to be absent, God was there all along, loving us, nurturing us, 
working his purpose out in front of us, around us, and within us in what turns out to be surprising and amazing ways. And so, beloved, the message here for all of us continues to be, wait for it. Wait for it. To make our wants and wishes known and then trust in the Lord to respond. But in the meantime, let us pray without ceasing. Let us be persistent about it to the point of becoming relentless. And let us work hard for the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom as we do. Let us be good stewards of the ministry that we share in the name of Jesus Christ as we wait. For you know what? That's our calling as his disciples. That is what the purpose of our life together in the church is all about. And above all, friends, as we wait in the meantime, so we do not lose heart, let us each one here stand as a beacon of faith, hope, and love to the world. Even as we dwell in a world that is all too often skeptical about our persistence, not to mention angry, wounded, and deeply hurt over their own struggles in this life. Because you know what? It's going to be our persistence that's going to serve ultimately as their inspiration. It is how we can look back over almost 180 years now and look back at the people in this church and said, boy, they had a lot of faith. No matter what they kept on, they were persistent. So no matter what, let's be persistent. Let us not lose heart. Let us be known as the persistent Christians. Let us keep on keeping on in faith. And I say this because I know we can. Because we have seen what God can do. And we know that God will do so much more in due season. For the vision will surely come. And when it does, may it be that the Lord finds faith on earth as he finds faith in us. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, The Persistent Christian. It was recorded during our October the 31st service of worship at East Congregational Church, United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. As always, We'd love to have you join us for in-person worship at East Church. It happens every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, and we're located, by the way, on 51 Mountain Road in Concord, New Hampshire. That's right off exit 16 of I-93. Or, if you prefer, we'd love to have you join us live online via Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page. Either way, consider yourselves invited to worship with us. And with that, we come to the close of another episode of this Love to Tell the Story podcast. 
I'm Michael Lowry, and I do thank you for listening today. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.